So we have forgotten that we belong to each other. That is not something that our system sells. But that is what I pose is the solution is how we transform. Is that we not just do the work of belonging to each other, but we have to understand what it means to belong to ourselves. This is High Tech High Unboxed. I'm Alec Patton, and that was the voice of Marisol Quevedo Rucha, author of Beyond the Service of Restorative Practices. Marisol sat down with Nikki Inostro, Director of School Redesign at the High Tech High Graduate School of Education, to talk about her work and what led her to it. I was there too. I was mostly running sound, but you'll hear me a little bit. This is just a wisdom-filled episode, so I'm going to get out of the way and get right into it. I'm very, very happy and I have inside of me this energy that is like filled with gratitude bursting out to be here with you, Marisol. I found you because I am a school leader, a queer Chicana, who was searching for some statements around how to show up and be um, when it comes to restorative practices. Historically, there were some texts that I found um, and I used with some of our staff. And as a Chicana, I thought to myself, wait a minute, Um, I really want to seek out folks who are like me. um, And this is a practice that is sacred and indigenous in its history. And where are my people? Um, and so I was on a search and I scrubbed through the interwebs and was so grateful when I found your book. Um, so I am just like, then what I did was then I reached out. I just thought I'm going to try every social to see if I can find you. And then you responded on Instagram, which I was, I remember that moment being like, oh, Oh my gosh! Um, I felt so fangirl about it, um, and now here we are uh, in conversation, and we'll see where this goes. But I'm just super grateful to be here. I'm hoping that you might share um, how you'd like to introduce yourself and uh, where you're from. From like for real, who brought you to this moment? Oh, so thank you. Um, it's really important to me to to recognize that our society has taught us things. I say sold to us that we bought. And one of the things that I think that our society has sold us that we've bought um, is really just the idea around our value and our value being more in the jobs that we've had, the titles that we've had, the money that we make, um, like the exterior components, right? Like the things that live on the surface. And, um, and with that is like, that's where our ego lives, right? That's where issues of self-esteem, our issues of control are like all of our ish, all of our stuff. And, and along with that, you know, I really believe that our society has taught us the way that, um, has taught us to deny our own humanity and that of others. And, and I see that through the way that as professionals, we're told to wear a mask, right? You can't show up as who you are in the world. Um, so, but let, let me get back. So it can be very difficult, um, I think, just accepting the space and the role that we're supposed to have in this life. And, um, and that's why it's so important for us to live the things that we believe. 
Um, and you were talking earlier about, you know, wanting to find somebody that was doing restorative practices in an indigenous way and ceremonial. And when we think of the word indigenous, a certain construct and idea comes up, right? But this is indigenous to every single human being on this planet. Mm. It's indigenous to everybody. We're inside of high tech high because everywhere across this planet and every land are people gathered around a fire. And they gathered around that fire, not just for warmth and to make food, but to connect, to celebrate, to solve problems, to build community. And our, our society teaches us to put things in boxes, right? And I want us to give ourselves permission to accept that this is a part of all of our blood. It's, it's inside of all of us, not just who we think of. Those who, who have reminded us, right, our indigenous communities in, in the United States, in New Zealand, um, are the ones who have reminded us of the ways, but it, it belongs to all of us. Um, and so with that, um, you asked me to introduce myself. Please. And so um, I very, very, with a lot of honor um, and humility, earned humility, want to introduce myself to you. I am Marisol Quevedo Rerucha. I am the mother of Camerina, Emilia, and Sofia. I am the grandmother to Isabella Luna, Cynthia Eliana, and Lorenzo Martin. I am the daughter to Irma Castro, Abraham Quevedo, stepdaughter to Nancy Gates Quevedo, and daughter to Yolanda Castro. I am the granddaughter to Carmen Rodriguez Castro, Carmen Bedoya Quevedo, Francisco Quevedo, and Alejandro Castro. Who I am, the honor of being with you, doesn't belong just to me. And the honor of being in this space with you, and anybody who happens to be listening, that honor doesn't just belong to me, and it's not about the things that I've done in this life. It's not about my degrees. It's not about the work that I've done. It's not about the staff that I've led. It's not about any of that. I take that back. It is about the staff that I led. It's not about the leadership. We enter space with the honor of being representatives of those that have poured into us pain, joy, trauma, harm, goodness. And we do this work and we join together in the work not just for ourselves, but to honor the seven generations that came before us. And we do the work to honor the seven generations that are coming. And I offer that way of introduction because each of us enter space, representing not just themselves and who they are and all they've done, if, even if they've picked themselves up by their bootstraps, but representing those that have poured into them and not just birth family, mm. but those that have chosen you and that you have chosen. Dr. Sharon Grant Henry um, taught me that when you love each other, when you connect, you become a part of each other's DNA. And so that impact, you and I have connected. And our connection, we know, is one that will continue in this lifetime and throughout. And we're going to learn from each other. We already have. That's going to impact your children. That's going to impact my grandchildren. So we'll continue to live through our generations, blood or not. And I want to offer to people that idea of like, who do you bring with you when you enter space? And how do you honor them? 
And I think that it's so important for us to then, in our space, whether it's at school, in the classroom, in church, that we share that with each other. We sit in a circle and we share, who do you bring with you? Because in that sharing, we see each other from a different lens as a human being, from the lens of those that love us, that we love. And when you see that, when you connect with somebody in that way, it makes it harder to otherwise them. It makes it harder to, when you're having difficulties with them, or even you're annoyed by them, irritated by them, dismissing them. It makes you more likely to want to do the difficult work of building the connection and the bridge when potential harm is happening. Hmm. I feel grateful for that connection um, with you, for the ways that you've impacted me already. Um, and want to share that if I can, just who I'm bringing. Um, right now, I feel real strong presence of my abuelita. She passed. Um, but she's that woman who taught me about like the love where you are so loved that you are the most brilliant genius in that space. She's that woman who taught me what it feels like to be loved like that. Um, and just feeling a lot of her presence right now. So when you named who you're bringing, it, it brought her into my energy as well. Um, I had a moment where we were making tortillas together and she had very arthritic, di disfigured hands, but she um, was patting them out and made this beautiful tortilla and she put it on the griddle. And I looked at it, and it was wonderful. I couldn't wait to put the butter on it, to have it. I mean, I had like 10 tortillas with butter a day as a child. Mm -hmm. And I remember when um, she gave me the ball of dough and I patted it out, my little four-year-old self, pat, 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 pat. And then I put it on the griddle and I took it off and it looked like it was the, si the state of Texas. <laughs> and I looked at it and I thought, oh no, Ita, my tortilla does not look like yours. And she said, no, Nicolasa, your tortilla is beautiful because there's no other one like that. And that's how she made me feel at all times. So I just felt important to bring her into right now. So thank you. Thank you. And I think you talked about her the first time we met. I remember that. And it just also reminded me of my, my abuelita's hands. And I remember holding her hand at church and holding her hand at, in her home. Um, I would lay down on her bed and she would rock in her chair. And she passed when I was 16. Um, but I'm just so grateful because I believe that the, in the spirit world that our ancestors and creator are doing the moves that they have to make for us, for all of us to connect here in this world to do the work that we need to continue doing. Mm. So I feel, I feel that you felt her because they're all here hanging out like, yeah. Right. It's and they're like, yeah, yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Because I just, I, I do want to say this and I think it's for me. These are my beliefs. But because I believe that when we pass, we go into the spirit realm. And my, my hope is that we continue to do the good, right? That we want, that our ancestors are continuing the fight, continuing the struggle, continuing the goodness on their behalf in that world and on our behalf in this world. I thought one day, you know, if I believe that that's true, then the people that I know are destructive and harmful and hateful, right? They have ancestors who pass that to them that are continuing their work. Mm. And when mine celebrate in the goodness, they're celebrating in the darkness. And um, that for me is just, it's just important for me to be 
thinking about and critic like uh, aware of because where there where, where there's light there's the dark mm-hmm. and so whenever i acknowledge them i also want to be like give them some extra strength and protection to continue to do that work that we're doing here right fighting against inequity fighting against the school to prison pipeline fighting against continued generational poverty fighting against the dehumanization of people that aren't citizens of this country right like mm. like we're continuing and and while we you know pull from them we also want to give some of that back to fight that other dark side absolutely ah oh, thank you for bringing that um and we've got that's a responsibility that's a responsibility i feel proud to carry um but it's felt for sure um i'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind uh there's so much to your book that i want to bring in um and so first when i i found the book i wanted to just like it says be it's the title beyond the surface of restorative practices for me uh i was excited because I care so deeply about having restorative community wherever I am that we practice um, in the ways um, that will bring community together and deepen and strengthen community. And I learned so much through restorative justice and restorative practices when I was a school leader. Um, I want to say that this beyond the surface of restorative practices for me was like a how to be a leader for equity handbook. It was so much more like it says restorative practices, but what I realized is like this is about actualizing the practices to create liberatory communities. Um, and whether a teacher or a leader, what I realize is it's to me, restorative practices kind of gets put into this one uh, silo. But this is much more for me. So I really want to know a little bit about the history. What, when was the moment that you realized I need, or a series of moments that you realized, I need to write this book? And uh, then we'll go from there. So I was actually asked by the publisher to write the book because I was doing work. So my restorative journey started when I was a school leader. I was the principal of an alternative charter high school, and they were using restorative practices with students. So specifically circles during, like when harm would happen in mediations. And so I was introduced to it as a school leader, but I really saw that we were providing that work with staff. So they were already doing circles in the morning, um, but we really started to embed the practice with the staff as well. Um, And so after I left, um, after I left that school, I moved to the county and um, in the juvenile court and community schools, we had a restorative practitioner, like coordinator, I don't remember her exact title. And that was the first time I had the official training. Um, but then I wasn't working with students because I was leading I was leading all staff who were then doing the work with kids. I ran the CT and work readiness um, department. And so that's when I really, really started seeing, ooh, like this is where we need to do the work because that team had been together for about 10 plus years. And there had been harm that happened that was carrying over into their work, right? And so once we, once I had the training, then I started, so we started doing the circles and work with, with staff. Um, or I started, not we. I don't have a mouse in my pocket. Um, so <laughs> my mom used to always say, who's we? You have a mouse in your pocket. Um, no, so that's how I started the work. And then when I started like really thinking about, okay, like what is, 
um, like, really, what is it that I've done and how have I done it? And because I'm somebody that saves everything, I had all my agendas, all my meeting minutes, all of the, and one of the things I could say with um, to you that I think, you know, I really based the work off of with the adults was how do I give people voice in the work and not just the solutions, but identifying the problems and then together doing that. And how do I, as a school leader, make sure that they have voice, right? And then how do I then hold them accountable, right? And when within that, in the work context, when as human beings, they maybe not start to, uh, or, they're, or they're not getting along or factions start to happen in workplace culture, how do I use all of that that we've created, that togetherness, that voice, right, and that trust in order to support um, the healing of harm and the identification and prevention of harm? And so that's what I was able to encapsulate and then put down into the processes in the book. Okay. It makes a lot of sense because it's a, the handbook is really, it, it, it seems to me like a strong handbook as a leader, and I wish I would have found it earlier, or I wish I would have found you earlier, because the processes really guide through building. I, ho- I hope you'll kind of name the, pro- the, the different steps you've designed, um, because as a leader, this is about strong leadership. Mm-hmm. Whether you're the leader of a classroom mm-hmm. or a leader of a, any group of people, really, um, and this there are although things aren't linear, there's a, a process by mm-hmm. which you outlined for us. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can kind of share a little summary of of what you put in there because to me it was just like, oh, why didn't I have this before? Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. this is. It, it kind of took what I intuitively felt in my gut that I would do because I, I felt it and it put it into a very clear process. Mm-hmm. I want to go back really quick please, um, to the, the writing of the book. So because I was coming at it from the staff component, I asked my spiritual brother, Pedro Terrazas, to write the highlights from the classroom because he's actively doing the work with kids. Mm-hmm. And then I also invited Dr. Carolyn Gary to write a chapter on trauma and Dr. Anjali Lafaudi on, on listening. And so with, with their, so they're included in that. Um, that was completed, and I think it was published in, in 21. So since the, the beginning of the writing of it and now, um, I would write a different book with a clearer process, with it linear, because I, I understand what it is now. Mm. And what I want to start with is um, I want to start with the why and, and the problem. And the problem is that our system is a system that was built to continue to perpetuate harm because it was built to elevate the few and the powerful. And because of that, and it was built on the backs and the bones of people in our land, right? And not just people from this land, but, you know, black, brown, indigenous, poor, um, poor people. And, and because, the, so the system does what it's meant to do. And, and, what and when it, you say system, we're talking like school system, I'm talking about our society. I'm talking about Western colonized society. Um, and I'll speci- I can specifically speak to the United States because that's the system that I know. Um, and because, so because it's, it's doing what it needs to do, that's why we continue to see the school to prison pipeline, generational poverty, poor mental, physical, emotional, social health in certain populations, right? And the way that we treat our black, brown, indigenous people, specifically our boys, our elderly, the poor, those with IEPs, our queer community. Um, there's so many, right? Those that do not have citizenship, those that do not speak English. 
there's so many that are systems. So if I see the system, I'm going to explain that system is the circle that we all want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hoping our goal is that it is the circle of compassion, right? But our system pushes everybody out of that circle of compassion, right? And, and otherwise uh, us. And so the way that we fight that is, is and, and I got this from Father Greg Boyle, is we do what Mother Teresa, that Mother Teresa said, when we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. It, this system is not a system that was made to create peace. It was made to create wealth and power. But as human beings, our goal is peace, right? And I had mentioned earlier in, in my rambling introduction, our system, the way that it works is, it, it, is it, it convinces us to deny the humanity of others and our own humanity, which is why it's okay for us to continue to sit here knowing that there could be a school being shot up right now and our children dying and being murdered, which allows us to still sit here and have this conversation knowing that we have that big unhoused community that's continuing to get pushed out, right? Out of the streets and out, we're, we're continuing to hide them and knowing that it's predominantly black women, elderly black women that are increasing in numbers. So the system, we almost have to deny our own humanity to live in the system, right? That we want to so importantly be a part of. The system, if we believe that, right? So there's no peace. So we have forgotten that we belong to each other. That is not something that our system sells. But that is what I pose is the solution is how we transform, is that we not just do the work of belonging to each other, but we have to understand what it means to belong to ourselves. And so the solution is we have to do our deep individual work, our deep community collective work, and our system at the same time. And we start it by being super clear about what we believe and how we agree to treat ourselves and each other. Every single system has a mission, has a vision, has values, has codes of conduct, and none of them know how to live to them. If they live to them, then we wouldn't have the issues that we have. And they don't live to them because our egos are human. We're not doing our individual work. And then also the people that are doing the work did not have voice in creating them. So they were created, they go into a binder, they go on a wall, we don't look at them, we don't bring them up at our meetings, we don't use them as guiding lights, and we don't use them to hold ourselves and each other accountable when we start to do things that we know we shouldn't do, mm. right? Which include, that's how harm happens. That's how toxic workplace cultures, that's how violence happens in classrooms, right? Because we don't know how to have those uncomfortable conversations when, okay, in a meeting, we have that thing, everybody pay attention, put your cell phones away. And your homegirl who you teach next to is um, playing a game <laughs> or taking a nap or grading mm. papers. She break, she's breaking the contract you have. Mm-hmm. We don't know and we don't practice having um, uncomfortable, challenging conversations in a way that is loving and respectful of you, of that other person, and of your work. So we have to create space for all the systems, right? Sorry, let me start with this. For us as individuals to be clear about what we believe and how we want to be treated and how we treat others. We have, we have these beliefs, but we're, we're not clear with ourselves about them. When we're clear about them, then we can use them they become more present for us. They, be, they come more to the surface, right? So we've mm-hmm. got to go beyond the surface to identify what we believe about who we are and why we are, what I believe about kids, about education, about leader, whatever those core things are for you, right? Identify them so that you can bring them to the surface and you have them so that when you're making decisions, you remind yourself who the hell you are and who you want to be. And also to remind yourself around your agreements about how you want to treat others and be treated so that you can catch yourself when you're starting to violate what you believe and what you've agreed to, 
And also, you now have the language to have that uncomfortable conversation with your homegirl that's honoring of her and honoring of you. Mm. Because you know that you have your expectations, you can state them clearly. So Nikki, you know, listening is really important to me. And for that reason, when you talk, because I see you're giving me a gift. And so when you talk, I look you straight in the eyes. I don't know if you notice, sometimes I'll position my body and put my feet on the ground. I'm trying to keep myself one because I want to make connections with you and have to remind myself, you're giving me a gift. Calm myself down. I just want to receive what you're giving me. And so, you know, do you feel that with me? Right? Mm-hmm. And I would give that person time and say, yes, of course. Blah, blah, blah. But you know what? The other day I was sharing about the struggle that I'm having with my daughter and you got on your phone. And it's really hard for me to share because it's something that's so deep. And um, I just wanted to share with you how I feel about that because it hurt me. And I started feeling like, you know, why am I going to give this person my time? Why am I going to put so much effort in them? Right, but I don't want to do that. So I wanted to let you know. Mm. Imagine if we could all, right, approach even the smallest things, because then what could happen? I'm like, fuck Nikki, or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> be the first one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. imagine the difference that, 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 that can happen in your office, in your home. Like at the supermarket, you know, even when you're parking, when you're driving. So, so the answer is we have to. So part of that process is we got to give our staff time to do that individual work for themselves so that then we can collectively in your community with your system, right, then create our collective beliefs and our collective agreements, right? So we work in schools and we know teachers that have been harmful to kids that say that they don't believe in them, that want them out of their class. That basically, if they could move them to a different city, they would. They can't stand them so much, right? So, but nobody calls them on that and that becomes an HR issue or you might have to blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But, so, but if we have a belief that we all have created and we've all agreed to that says something like, we believe that all children can and all children deserve, right? The highest quality academic, social, emotional, blah, blah, whatever, right? We believe mm-hmm. that and we all agree to it. So now me as her next door neighbor, hey, we read this belief every day. There's some things that you've said that are going against it. And I know that it's a belief that is important to you because we've, but the way that I'm seeing like the, or, you know, the students feeling are being treated, right? So that's how we can use the beliefs and also our agreements to start to be that, be that change and be the work. Mm. What I wonder about is like, that all makes sense to me, but like that teacher, like, People often don't do well with being put, even no matter how you present it, when they're like, oh, I'm the bad guy here, that brings out, and even if the, and even the way you're presenting it, like, if it's like, oh, I'm not living up to these things here, you know, I'm, the, the, a lot of things going through their head, like, oh, a lot of those kids are black and brown who I, like, have these feelings about. That means she's calling me racist, and you're suddenly in a whole different place. So, like, after you give that message and the person doesn't take it in the spirit in which it was intended, what's the next step? So let me go back. Because part of doing that work is you have to do some work of going beyond the surface to really get to your beliefs and your agreements, right? The individual and then the collective. Part of that is, is starting to, to develop an understanding and an awareness of where you have a fixed mindset and where you have a growth mindset. And also, so your beliefs, right? Um, and these are your personal beliefs. 
Um, but what, so if, if your mindset, if you know that you have a growth mindset in these areas, which is that, you know, you feel uncomfortable about something, but you're going to do it anyway. You believe that failure is, is a way to growth, right? But you know that you might have a fixed mindset as a parent in that you might have a 22 year old daughter who is making, um, you know, who is doing things that you don't agree with and you're stuck in the idea that that is not the child that you raised or they shouldn't be that way. So I, I, I see fixed mindset of when you get stuck in the should or shouldn't. So, you know, you get stuck in that why because the growth helps, helps us work through it. So the reason why I bring this up is that when you have an awareness then of your mindset, then you can start to have ownership of why you are being triggered by things in the moment. So that when you are getting to the, so that work could have been, would have been done with the staff already so that that teacher right, would have the opportunity, and this is where leadership is important, to say we're sharing a difficult message, right? We're going to take some time and we're going to have a reflective moment or whatever, right, to think, am I getting stuck in my fixed right now or my growth? Because we've already developed this common language. So this goes back to the processes, right? So like the step-by-step process where we have agreed to do this individual work so that when we are reacting to things, right, we have an awareness of what's coming up for us. Because if we have an issue with a six-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, that's our issue and our trigger. So we have to have some agreement as the staff that we're going to do some of that. So that, so that when that teacher right is feeling like that, they can take some time to pause and help them work through that and then get on with a conversation. And if they stay stuck in that, you know, at some point you have to go through your HR processes. And, and people's perspectives are going to be people's perspectives. Um, not everybody is going to buy in to, to this way of being because it's so dramatically different, right? Um, but that's, that's life. Um, but there has to be some of the agreement and the practice of some of that work. So it's not just you recognizing that that teacher is reacting, right? And responding and going and doing all of those mental gymnastics and the blame, like all within themselves, that you're providing space for them to do that so that they can think through it before reacting and responding. You, I, I want to bring up this part because it came up in the book and I, I was struck by there's mindset, there's also a heart set. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk more about mm-hmm. heart set? Mm-hmm. Um, I like to make up words. And heart set isn't a made up word, but I kind of made it up and, and like wrote my own definition for it. And that's because one of the things, again, that our society has sold us that we've bought is that like our value is in our mind. And what I'm so grateful of is my generation, I'm 49, so like the Gen X generation, right? Um, Is that, you know, we did enough of our work so that our millennials and our Gen Zers could really help us push into the work of self in in a really beautifully healthy way. And so I I thought, you know, like when I'm like my emotions, those aren't coming from my head. Those are coming from my heart. So like, where is my heart? So if I understand mindset, fixed mindset, growth mindset, the power of my mind, the power of the belief of effort. I understand that. What's the power of my heart, right? And what are then the beliefs that I carry from my heart that guide my actions? And so for me, the beliefs that come from my heart is that we belong to each other, right? A belief that comes from my heart is what Brian Stevenson said. We are more than the worst thing we've ever done. And I think like that heart set that's not about my mind. It's coming from someplace else, right? And I think, imagine if every teacher believed that every student was more than the worst thing they've ever done. 
imagine if every teacher felt that about other teachers that may be harming kids that they love, right? That they're more than the worst thing they've ever done. Imagine if we believe that about ourselves, that we are more than the worst thing we've ever done. That belief that, that guides my actions and my way of being and how I perceive and react to the world, right? That's my heart. So that's why I, I use the term heart set. So in the work part of the process is we go through like the why of restorative practices. This is the problem, the systemic harm. Here's the solution. We need to be really clear about our beliefs and our agreements and learn how to live them, learn how to be the work, not just do it from eight to five. And we have to do our individual community and, and systemic work. And then we start with the individual, right? So what is our mindset? What is our heart set? So then we can sit down and write our, like, what do we believe? Be really clear with ourselves. And then our agreements, how we want to treat each other. And then from there, the next step of the process is we do that collectively. And everybody has voice. That's one of the most exhausting um, things that I have to do as a facilitator. But I've had the honor of doing that with 500 people to four people. And what's beautiful is that also part of the work is you're modeling for people how to do this, right? How, how to build a trust for that to be able to happen. And from there, then you start to do the work of starting to implement both with your staff and with kids and with your community um, and starting to, you know, like develop your restorative team or your equity team, right? I, I call it the work of the Jedi, the work of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, right? Which is the most powerful work. And you're right, restorative practices fits under there. But then you start, to, so, so for me, it's starting to set the belief and the understanding that we have to live it, we have to be it, and it's not something that we just do. It's about who we are in this world and always with everybody. High Tech High Unboxed is hosted by me, Alec Patton. This episode was edited by Brent Spiernak. Huge thanks to Marisol Quevedo Rarucha and Nikki Inostro for this conversation. You can find out more about Marisol's work in the show notes. Thanks for listening. 